Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Fight Club Hubs, and welcome to another wonderful episode of GVN Live. Uh, with me today is the gamer Keith and Mark B. Writing, and wait a second, is that Emily? Holy crap! Yeah. Where you been? You might want to unmute yourself. <laughs> I unmuted myself. Okay, there we go. Yes. <laughs> so, welcome back, Emily. How was your? Uh, you you're well you started off by going on vacation on the week of uh, WrestleMania so why don't you start yeah. there oh okay yeah so i last minute uh was able to go to WrestleMania so i just decided to stay in Florida for a couple of days and have like a mini vacation cuz i was working way too much and i kind of just needed a break but i did go to WrestleMania and it was fucking amazing i know i just cursed and i don't i normally don't when i'm on here and i just don't care because it was that amazing to see live um i can't even put into words it just was amazing um um it was definitely like i was ready to go to every single pay-per-view that was you know mm -hmm. i'm ready to go to like the next like 15 wrestlemanias because i mean every other all of a sudden there'd be like fireworks and you were like what the hell it was like it was, <laughs> it was cool flashy lights you know um so the vacation was nice it went by way too fast i wasn't ready to leave but alas i had to come back to work because you know how that is i did go to this really cool bar in orlando called uh, joystick and it's I like i saw that i heard that about that awesome. place actually yeah so it's like I was actually texting you. I'm like, where is this magical place that you're at right now? Yeah, it's this little, like, it's like randomly on a corner. I don't even know in what part of Orlando that, like, we went to. But it was just, like, you just walk. They card you outside to make sure that, like, you really are over 21. And once they go, you wouldn't just go upstairs and it's just there. Um, and it was, like, Nerd Central. So they had arcade machines. They had, like, these nice, like, lounge couches and different areas you could hang out and the drinks were all like themed but one of the coolest things was they smoked so like i i mean i i don't know if you guys wait can they allowed see. smoking indoors no 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 oh, the, the, uh, my, the drink my drink bubbled I'm trying oh to oh you had like the drink, fusion drinks or whatever drink, they call like, them i don't even know if you can see this right now can you guys see that bubbling oh that is pretty cool yeah Oh. Yeah, so like that was that was my drink. It bubbled. So like they were very strong and they bubbled. It was really cool. Actually they you would think this wouldn't be safe, but you know how they made it bubble? They put a small uh nitrous oh, oxide put, ice cube in there. Yeah, I was about to say they put a little like um like you said, one of those ice cubes inside of it. The nitrous oxide. I think well, I want to say it was liquid nitrogen. <coughs> no, 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 that, that's no, it, it is. It Pardon is liquid. Me. I'm sorry. It is liquid nitrogen. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, what? It was some type of ice cube that, like, you really shouldn't touch or eat or dry drink. Ice, and dry ice. Yes. There thank we you. go. That's what it was. 
it was dry ice that they put in there. Um, so obviously I was being a little careful, but it was really cool. I didn't know that they did that. So like my drink came out and I'm like staring at it. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be bubbling or not, but I'll drink it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I drank it anyway. I didn't even ask why, how they got it to bubble until my second one. I probably should have asked, like, you know, just not drink until my second one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Keep putting this shit in me. How do you make this work? (laughs) I did. I was already working on the second one. I'm like, Oh wait, by the way, I'm like, how do you get this to bubble? They're like, oh, we just put dry ice in there. And I'm like thinking, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't be drinking this, but. It I mean, it, it, didn't, it clearly didn't kill you, so. No, no, no. It, I mean, as long as you don't drink the actual ice cube, I mean, you know, you're good. Um, she said it didn't melt, but by the time I would finish both drinks, I didn't see any ice cubes in there, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> not dead, so you didn't swallow. I'm still it. here, yeah. But it was actually really cool. Like they have all these different like lounge areas. The countertop was like you know a bunch of different like like cutouts of different like uh, nerd stuff, cartoons, superheroes, video games, things like that. But it was pretty cool. That being said, then I came home. So, I know this is the point where, like, what we're supposed to talk about, like, what games we've been playing. I've been super swamped since I came home, but I am planning on trying Street Fighter V again. And I have an interest in Colleen. So, I went to this event maybe, like, a week before I went to Florida and I tried out Colleen, and I didn't think I was going to like her, but it turns out I actually did like yeah, her. Yeah, you seem so, to have been her biggest critic when uh, she was revealed. I, I was her biggest critic. I hated the idea of her. I just thought she was a bunch of characters mixed up in one, which she kind of is. But I really liked her when I played her, so I'm willing to give Street Fighter Five another chance again, and I'm going to buy her. Um, I'm not going to speak too much on fighting games right now since I'll be talking a lot about that later. <laughs> But I will say there's this one game I'm addicted to right now. I'm addicted to games on my phone right now for some reason. Um, I don't know if it's fast and easy is the reason. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's just because they're portable or not. But there's this game I used to play a lot called, like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Smoly Piano. It's like a rhythm game. It used, I thought it was just on iPhones, but apparently not. It's not well, on here. And I just there's a rhythm game you should try out. Um, I've been playing it on the Switch, but it came out on the uh, Apple and uh, iPhone Wait, it came uh, out on the Switch. Which rhythm game is that? Oh, uh, Voez. It's it's oh, also I didn't out. I know it's, that was a rhythm game. Yeah, it's a it's a musical rhythm game where you just tap the screen, slide your finger around, stuff like that. It's uh it's available on Apple and uh, and uh, Android uh, fo- uh products. So uh, definitely check that out. You might like it. Okay. I've, that's yeah. that's actually I was gonna do a uh, in the next few days I was gonna film a uh, quick picks video and that was gonna be one of the games I was gonna recommend to people. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. There are game there are a bunch of games I'm looking forward to specifically on the Switch cuz Mario Heart Deluxe is coming out. Was it next week? 28th, yeah. After. I thought it came it's out next... What comes out the 25th? Uh I thought it came out on the 28th. No, there's uh, a game that no, comes no, out on no. the 25th, but I it can't does remember come what. It on the 28th, Keith. Yes, I was right. Ha-ha. No, I no, believe I believe that, but there was another Switch game that came out on the 25th, and I just can't remember what it is. Well, the uh, 25th hasn't happened yet, so it didn't come out yet. I know. <laughs> just saying. I got time. Yay. Be... Um, 
and then there's a bunch <coughs> of PS4 games coming out, and there's more Switch games. But pretty much my, my wallet, I'm going to be broke by the time fall comes around because half the games I want are all coming out in the next, like, three months. Um, but that's what's up with me right now. Work, and of course, I'll talk about this later, but there's lots of fighting game stuff happening right now, and... I can't wait to talk about it. Lots of fun announcements coming from Biggie Gaming. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's just go it over to Mark because I'm sure he's just going to give me a word one answer for this. Mark, what have you been up to? Uh, punching the clown. <laughs> <laughs> for those I'm... of you who don't know, that's a euphemism for jerking off. <laughs> Giggity. But um, yeah. I mean, not a whole lot necessarily. Um, playing Persona Five. Uh, pretty much all the time. Um, about like 108, nine hours into the game in the second to last, I believe, dungeon. Um, probably going to complete it either tonight or tomorrow, I suspect. Um, I don't really have anything new to say about it from what I said last time. It's, you know, it's probably going to be my game of the year. Uh, I have very minor and not necessarily significant objections to the game, but by and large, it is quite good. Um, if we're if we're doing the whole "what have you been playing" thing, um, I, I figure we could probably talk not about that, but about like the board games that we've been playing. We've been getting together a little bit. Mm-hmm. You've also uh, started streaming again, but now you're doing it on Sundays. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I, the, the simplest way that I can explain it is I kind of have a girlfriend, Ooh. and it's... Ooh, the plot thickens. <laughs> Among other things. hey Um, but yeah, so it's Wait, Saturday is this, night. Is, is this that kind of date? I'm behind. It's been like a month. Is this that kind of date you were talking about? Yeah. Ooh. Ah. So, ah. like, Saturday nights are inconsistent for me. Um, Sunday nights are much more reasonable pound for pound, so it's like that. Really? <laughs> I don't know. Go to somebody else. I'll be back. <laughs> it's probably the girlfriend. You better answer that damn phone. <laughs> anyway, so uh, well, well, until Mark gets back from the phone, um, I, I I've been juggling nine games. Uh, a new class nine. in Terra dropped, uh, so I've uh, returned to Terra to play the Valkyrie class. Uh, I try. I'm in the open beta for Revelations, another MMO game that's come out of Korea. That's currently, well, I've already said it, it's an open beta. Uh, I played Mass Effect for maybe a couple of hours. I'm playing Voez on the Switch. I'm playing uh, I Am Setsuna on the Switch. I'm playing uh, Zelda on the Switch. <laughs> I'm trying to find Ooh. time to. Yes, I just I got I just got this in the mail, a physical copy of uh, Hyper Light Drift of uh, uh, Drift uh, Drifter. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Atelier uh, Fearist. Uh, and then somewhere in the back of my mind, I completely forgot about Horizon. So I, I got too much on my plate right now. Yeah, and I was yeah, thinking about I was thinking, this is this is why I slowed down. And I started trying to take it game per game instead of buying like a million games at <laughs> once because I was trying to jump them at once. Yeah, that's here's my, the problem that's, though. That's pretty much Eddie Gamer's problem. It's like that, you have too many damn games. Yeah. And, you... and the problem is, oh, like I said, all the games I want are all coming out around around the same time. So 
really my problem's not solved. It's just yeah. it's, it's just, just exacerbating it. Yeah. yeah so, much. but uh, out of all the games I've been playing right now, I would have to definitely say that the Switch uh, is standing out with the uh, their, their their games. I, I I'm starting to enjoy Zelda a little bit more. I mean, honestly, Wait, uh, um, outside of there's a lot of flaws in the game. Let's be truthfully honest. Uh, people uh, seem to talk about the side quests, and be truthfully honest, I couldn't give two shits about the side quests in the game. Uh, oh, you suck! Then you're a horrible person. Um, for the last for the last twenty hours, I've been running. I'm here saying that there's so many flaws in the game. I didn't say so many flaws. I didn't say so many flaws. I just said there's some. Because the only flaws. thing that's really annoyed me is dying constantly. Well, dying, and I got annoyed when I was trying to like set the horse to like the actual stable because every time I wanted to walk up to the guy it went to like the other guy and I was getting really annoyed so the horses I wish they would just give us like Epona and then just like let us go Use I don't like the way the they do that but other Legend than that Legend of Zelda cool. Link from All right, well, screw Smash you, Brothers <laughs> well screw you too but I, I've never had any problems I tamed my first couple of horses and it was pretty easy no I tamed them it wasn't the <laughs> taming part it was trying to get them like into like the stable that's there's not hard. Two guys, there's, no, there's two guys there. There's the one guy, and then there's the other guy. And you have to talk to the one guy. But every time I was almost there, it hmm. went to the other guy. Are you playing with the Pro Controller, or are you using the actual Switch Controller? I'm um, using the Switch Controller. Ooh. When, I, when I'm playing on the actual, like, when I'm playing, like, with it connected to my TV, I use the Pro Controller. But if I'm just doing the handheld, I obviously am using... Mm -hmm switch but yeah so moving on because I, I don't know when mark's coming back unless he's already i'm back, I'm back. all right I'm so back. you may resume sir <laughs> the um, return. yeah well i didn't want to interrupt anybody while they were talking um but yeah like i i started streaming again on sundays we're just going through persona 5 my expectation is by the time i get to the hard stop in july that atlas has has insisted upon that hopefully by that point they will have rescinded that particular ban. But if not, I'm probably just going to continue doing it off of Twitch. Mm hmm Yeah, we because were talking about that on your they're uh, not gonna They're not going to DMCA everywhere, so. Yeah. That, that, that still perplexes me how suddenly, you said it's more of a Sega thing, right? That, that not so much an Atlas thing. Uh, that is my expectation, honestly. Because Atlas Japan <clears throat> has never specifically been that involved in the direction of Atlas US, just in general. And they've been aware of streaming for a while. So it's, it's, they've been aware that it, it helped the sales of Catherine, it helped the sales of Persona 4 Gold, and et cetera, so on. I don't think they would have necessarily been the folks to jump up on that concept. Meanwhile, Sega of Japan was the group that banned people from Twitch streaming the story mode of a Tetris game that they're come that they're coming out with, but only in Japan. Like in the U.S., they're aware nobody gives a fuck. So it's it's very much a case where Sega of Japan's behavior is consistent with that level of high dumb dickery, <laughs> uh, whereas Atlas is not so much. So I, I feel like Atlas is saying this because their overlords at Sega are saying this and mm -hmm. to be clear and i, I want to be a hundred percent crystal on this this is sega of japan sega of america from everything that i understand gets the idea of streaming and 
would really rather not have to deal with this shit. They're more in but tune Sega with of the Japan now. makes the rules. Yeah, Sega of America and Sega of Europe seems to be more in tune with the now and with what gamers are wanting and all that stuff. And it seems like Sega of Japan. And this goes back to a story. I actually wanted to originally talk about this on the show. was an article that was posted recently about an interview with Peter Moore where he, he, he exclaimed that at one point he told Yuji Naka and Yuzuzuki to go fuck themselves because he did not like the way that the guys in Japan were refusing to accept anything that you know, Sega of America or Sega of Europe was presenting to them from, you know, polls and whatnot uh, about what gamers were thinking about the company. So, I mean, th- this could be something we could talk about on the next show, but it's definitely, it definitely seems to coincide with, you know, Sega of Japan causing all the problems. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely feel like Sega of Japan in general is the problem that we're having here. Mm-hmm just overall like i feel like they are the ones that are in control of this particular conversation Mm -hmm. so uh before we uh head over to the uh fgc corner uh two more things on the docket so first off what's uh keith what have you been up to well pretty much uh i was actually having a really awesome conversation with electric maestro on the the legend of zelda i've been playing zelda a lot more hardcore lately if anything i think i'm actually going to dust off the cobwebs and actually stream it now because i'm uh, getting getting up there uh if anything i really really love zelda i just beat one of the uh, first um divine beasts so i'm going around doing the different shrines right now i can't really say that i freaking love the legend of zelda so much this game in my opinion was the is the best by far and this is actually rolling up to be my game of the year but then again nobody's effing surprised on this what was the first what was the first divine beast that you that i took on i took on varuda and if i'm trying i'm trying to get to the one right now but it's like i'm failing i'm like this close to getting to the first one but remember how you like you kept picking up like those sticks for fire mm-hmm well, I was like, I can't fight with these, and I kept throwing them away. Now I need it. Well, if anything, when you trying to fight, find uh, when you fight, when you fight Varuda, you actually need the um, the electric arrows, and you actually got to go up and you got to go freaking stalk uh, this dude that's actually firing them at you, and he literally will just f you up. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but sounds badass. Uh, but it's just I love the story as well with it. It adds a little extra layer if anything i'm very very much involved in everything that's going on at the second like i'm trying to figure out what's happened 800 years ago and i don't want to really ruin any of the story to anybody but it's just really it just kind of makes sense and it's really really cool i really really like it Mm -hmm. no i do not like cdi games (laughs) no do not talk about those pieces of crap have you played them though (laughs) Yes, I have, and we don't talk of these pieces of crap. Uh-huh. All right, so before just now the last thing is uh, my little announcement. Uh, I hinted on this a couple of weeks ago on a tweet. Uh, that is a I'm doing two themed months for Game Jam, starting with uh, May and then the next one being in June. The first one in May is going to be Disney Month. Mm. So... I'll be playing nothing but Disney games. I'll cap it off with like a Disney afternoon like session. Hopefully I can get, you know, multiple people to come in. I was telling you guys about my plans for that earlier off the show. 
Uh, some of the games I plan on possibly playing, I'm looking at maybe, you know, some of the uh, classics like Quack, like uh, Quackshot on the Genesis. Uh, maybe I'll play Epic Mickey or I'll play Mickey Mania. Uh, of course, you know, there's the Disney Afternoon block. You got DuckTales, you got Darkwing Dog. I even got uh, Gargoyles on the Genesis. I mean, who knows what Ooh. I'll end up playing. I'm going to work it out with the people I'm going to try and have as guests. Um, the second... Uh, themed month, which will be happening in June, is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog Fan Game Month. I'm going to be pl- no, I'm not going to be playing main games. I'm going to be playing fan-made games. That includes games like Sonic Robo Blast 2 or Sonic uh, Utopia. Although I think that's only in uh, alpha mode right now. Or Sonic New. Uh, 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 there's one that begins with an N, and all of a sudden I can't remember it. New. Uh, Metropolis or something like that. I can't remember, but there's a lot of uh, really good Sonic game, Sonic fan games out there, and this is all leading up to the release of Sonic Mania, which I think is still scheduled for the end of June. So that those are two fun-looking months that I'm going to be having. So anyway, here we go. Cue that intro for the FGC corner. <laughs> Birdie action going on. Oh, that's not birdie anymore. Take it away, Emily. Hey, guys. So it's been a while since I did this. So I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet and to the point since most people that tune in, including these three guys, know I tend to ramble sometimes. So, ramble, ramble, yeah, see, ramble. See, see, they laughed because they instantly because they know. Um, that being said, first things first, I am going to start with games, fighting games in particular, obviously. So, that being said, games that are coming out in the near future that everybody is excited about. So I'm going to start with Injustice 2. So Injustice 2 is shaping up to be a huge game. Um, it might actually be, like, good. And <laughs> I don't mean that in, like, a bad way because I played Injustice 1 and I was obsessed for it for a period of time and so I was kind of like, this game is not as good as I actually thought it was several months later. Um, but everything that was wrong in... Injustice 1, and even in Mortal Kombat 10, they seem to have fixed in Injustice 2. And they kind of have taken it, they kind of are taking it a step further. So, basically, there's like twice as many characters. And a lot of them are like really exciting, like Blue Beetle, Scarecrow is going to be in the game. Hmm. Um... There's there's a lot of other ones that I'm trying to remember. Oh, Poison Ivy is going to be in it, and she wasn't in it before. Um, they should so, have the Condiment Man in it. I have to be honest. I don't. I don't think they have the Condiment Man in there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this game is horseshit. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um. So that game is actually coming out next month. So it's coming out in about a month. Um. I'm really excited for it. Um. Like I said. The hype is that there's a lot more hype for the game than I guess I was expecting there to be. Um, and 
on some sort of level has me a little bit concerned just because there was so much hype for Street Fighter V and look what happened when that launched. So I guess I'm just kind of hoping that when Injustice 2 launches, it actually sticks um, because like, like you see in most trends, not only has Injustice died and it died a long time ago, but it died so quick. did Mortal it, it did. That's why I said a couple months. Then I was like, meh. <laughs> but, um, but so did Mortal Kombat 10. That scene died very quick. And part of that is because of Injustice 2. Actually, yes. I did mean to cut you off, uh, Emily, but I figured out two things that goes in coincided with your fight corner. Is um, The game that's actually releasing on the 26th that I'm excited for is uh, Ultra Street Fighter 2, the final challengers on the Nintendo <laughs> Switch. Yes, but oh, I didn't yes. get to that yet. God damn it, Keith. Stop ruining steal, everything. You're stealing my thunder. I said Excuse? I was talking about games that are coming out in the near future, oh. and that was one of them. My bad. It's because they're a lot of me. Wait, we're like, oh, what game is on the 25th? I'm like, there is a game on the 25th, and I found out. At least let me finish. My bad. The, the FGC corner before you go into games coming out when I just... <laughs> Dude, she's going to right. smack now, down on your children. ass. Keith the Ruiner, yeah, exactly. Like, geez, like, there's like five fighting games I'm talking about that are coming out in the future, and that was one of them. So, thank you for ruining my reveal. Yes, Ultra Damn. Street Fighter. I might as well go into that one since yes. you. Ultra Street Fighter 2 is another one heavily anticipated that's coming <laughs> out next week. Thanks, Keith. Um,. <laughs> There, when that game was first announced, there was a lot of excited people and backlash at the same time because people didn't want an Ultra Street Fighter 2. But they're actually putting, like, two new characters in the game, and they're doing, they're adding all this really fun stuff to it. So I'm excited for it. I am excited, and I'm buying it. Another one, <laughs> ARMS. But that doesn't come out till much later in the year, right? I don't really? care. It's, it's it's still a fighting <laughs> game, so it goes on this list. Hey. Arms is the hey. The, Pro Jarrah said it was awesome. So Arms is the quote unquote fighting game. I say quote unquote because it's literally just arms that can like fly out really far that beat up hmm. your other opponent. Um, that's coming out on the Switch, and believe it or not. People thought it was a joke, but it is not. It does seem to be popular. Those who play it actually said it's a lot of fun. That includes some pro fighting game players who I've seen online have played it. And I'm hearing a lot of really good things. So I still plan on getting it. I know a lot of other people do. I have people that keep asking me, are you getting Ultra Street Fighter 2 or ARMS? And I'm like, I'm getting both. And they're like, that's a smart choice. And I'm like, well, I hope they're good. Um, and then there's Tekken 7. Tekken 7 is coming out in June. Finally, I hope. I hope. That's when it's supposed to. I pre-ordered it. Um, Tekken 7 is another very highly anticipated game that everybody's been waiting forever for. And there is not much to say on this except for I wish it would just finally come out. I will say that I... Every time I go to round one, I do get to play Tekken 7 since it is just a vanilla version of Tekken 7, um, but it is Tekken 7. I really enjoy it a lot. I yeah. suck playing it on an arcade. I wish I 
could play on pad again so I could play pad with it, but I might have to actually learn how to play Tekken on an arcade stick <laughs> for once. And I'm missing a game. No word really yet on when Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is coming out, only that it's supposed to come out this year. Something tells me that it might be delayed, but don't quote me. Oh, if it's going to be yet. delayed, that's a lot better in my opinion because there, there really just hasn't. I been get a much, finished game for once. There really just hasn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's possible they're planning on doing that. I'm not sure. Maybe they're waiting until uh, E3 before they say anything on it. Maybe there'll be a reveal time then. I'm not really sure. Um, but there hasn't been much going on about that. Really, it's been Injustice 2, Ultra Street Fighter 4, Tekken 7, and. Uh, arms that i'm hearing the most about moving on in street i already talked about street fighter 5 briefly and that was about colleen there really isn't anything new going on except for the capcom pro tour that's happening right now for street fighter 5 um king of fighters has some really great dlc that's come out um king of fighters actually seems to be doing really really well right now um, it's getting more and more popular actually as it goes on. So it was popular at first, then it seemed like it was dying a little bit, but then it just took this recent surge in the past like month or two, and a lot more people are playing it. I, I, I don't know if it's a DLC that did it, but... Well, I mean, they basically have almost released the entire cast of the older games at this point, so... Yeah, that's mm -hmm. why I'm wondering if, if it really was when they started releasing the DLC, all of a sudden more players kind of started flocking to the game. So I suspect so, just because like everybody's always going to have a favorite. And if your favorite's not represented, you're you're going to be upset and you're maybe not going to want to stick with a game or you're not going to want to come back to a game. So it's the idea that they're releasing kind of like the C-list characters that they've had in the previous games, like including like Whip and Vanessa, is... I think definitely a, a smart idea, if for no other reason than when they have the next game come out, like, they've got all the animations ready to go, just shove it out the door with whatever new characters you want in, and then your deal, your DLC is just ready-made for you. Yeah, that's true. I think another thing is not just the DLC, but also they've been trying to put a lot of support into the game since it came out, like having, like, you know, King of Fighter like, kind of like tours and special events and, like, uh, similar to the Capcom Pro Tour, but for King of Fighters and things like that. So they're they're trying to put a lot more into it than they did before. And event-wise, um, it's been a while, so I don't think I talked about the Red Bull events before, did I? Uh, I might have mentioned that you had an announcement to make earlier in the year, but I don't think it, we, you ever made it because I think you were in and out. Plus, we, I think yeah. we took a week off because bad scheduling. Yeah, okay. It, it might be because, yeah, I don't think I ever talked about it. So, okay. So, last year, um, some of you might know that there was the Red Bull Proving Grounds where there were certain regions in the area that were competing to get a spot at the uh, Red Bull Battlegrounds tournament in Seattle, and whoever won that got to compete in the Capcom North American Finals for a chance to be in Capcom Cup. 
Um, Philadelphia was one of those regions that Biggie Gaming was running those events. This year, Red Bull has announced the Red Bull Proving Grounds again, only things are a little bit different. So not only are there more regions, Biggie Gaming is involved again, but you're now competing to send players over to... uh, Crap, what's the location? I don't remember off the top of my head right now where they are being flown to. I think it's out in the West, though. But it basically... No, no, I I don't think it's in California again. I is it in Vegas? I might be wrong. I'm not 100% sure. I'll find that. I'll look that. Well, I should know that considering I'm involved in it. That's really bad, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's been a busy time since I've been home. But hey, Red Bull, if you're watching, she's just very tired. Okay. I I, I am really tired. <laughs> send I her am, some Red Bull. I, I yeah, please send me some Red Bull. Um. <laughs> But basically, it's the same thing again. There's Only this time there's a season one and a season two, not just one season. So right now we're in season one. And basically, top players will be sent, and it's pretty much going to be a t- each region, team vs. team, East Coast vs. West Coast. Um, and one thing I really like about this is... It's kind of bringing back a little bit of that old school rivalry, rivalry, I can't speak, hmm. that uh, the FGC used to have with the whole East Coast, West Coast type of thing, but doing it in a more kind of like healthier manner. So um, April was not April. Uh, March was kind of like a training event session. And so April 1st was the first official uh Red Bull Proving Grounds tournament for each region and across the United States. And basically, they're also competing for points again. So the highest players with the top points. Now, the cool thing about this is, is whichever team wins the final, the finals at the end of season one, they get to take eight players, eight of the top players from their region to Evo. That is an all expenses paid trip to Evo for eight players of the winning team. So that's season one. It's really exciting. Punk won our first one because he's punk and he actually just won NorCal uh, regionals too because he's winning everything right now and he's in Philly. Yes. So we actually might stand a chance. Okay. Because I believe in you, Philly FGC. Okay. That being said, we also recently announced and finally created our event page for Summer Jam 11. That I is, saw that. Yes, that is this August 11th to 13th. It is a part of the Capcom Pro Tour. It is a part of the Dead or Alive 5 Battle Royale. So it is on that circuit. Um, anybody who wins, I'm the person who wins Dead or Alive 5. That's going to be me. Summer Jam gets a thousand dollars because that's a thousand dollar pot um so if that's you good job rob um (laughs) but we shall see um pokin also has a thousand dollar pot bonus at summer jam 11 thanks to evo i don't know if you guys and uh mr wizard but i don't know if you guys remember that it was kind of the last game for evo 
was based on votes. Um, and it was voted kind of through a charity thing. And it was pretty much Marvel vs. Pokin. Nobody knew which one. And they were really kind of head-to-head. And Marvel ended up winning. And... I still think that was a rigged system, rigged voting system. I mean, why would you take Marvel and you take two of the more popular fighting games and you pit them against each other for the last slot? Well, I mean, technically they didn't pit them against each other. There was like six games in there and Arms surprisingly had like a couple thousand. I was surprised at how many people wanted that game. It wasn't even out yet. But or it's not out yet. Um, but they were impressed at how hard the poker community worked, so they decided to pledge 10k to multiple different FGC majors and Summer Jam was one of them that got chosen. So we do currently have a $1,000 pop bonus for Pokin as well. That was just recently announced. We are planning a launch early registration sometime this week. Um, we're going to have the hotel information soon and lots <laughs> of other really exciting things are coming soon with that. So stay tuned. Summer Jam, it'll be like an XI um, in the event page, but it's on Facebook. Go check it out. So, yeah. And there will be other really exciting... There's another event page I'm launching this week also, but I can't say anything until I do. All I can tell you is stay tuned, for more, stay tuned for more information about the Fall Classic coming to you soon this week. Okay. Thanks. Thank you very much, Emily. So we move on to our, <clears throat> sorry, uh, we move on to our first topic of conversation right here. It's going to be a brief one. I mean, it, there's not much I think we can really get out of it, but I thought it'd be a fun topic to talk about. Um, Easter eggs. I mean, Yay. this idea came up to me because, hey, Easter was yesterday. Um, so uh, Easter eggs have been around practically since the beginning of, you know, video games back in the late 70s. Uh, Mark pointed out to me that, Possibly one of the first uh, Easter eggs that was found was in the game Adventure, which is that little, which is pretty much the predecessor to all adventure games that are out right now, including The Legend of Zelda, uh, where somebody managed to find the programmer's name in the game hidden somewhere. Uh, Now, um, Easter eggs are pretty much uh, a lot of things. If you, if anybody here is familiar with uh, Guru Larry on YouTube. he has a, a three-part series about uh, Easter eggs found in video games. Pretty much uh, a bunch of uh, game programmers who practically lost their shit. And they hidden their rants deep inside all the game codes. Interesting. And uh, I would definitely recommend it. They have uh, game rants for Japanese developers, UK developers, and American developers. And all three are gold. So if you get a chance, uh, check out his videos. Um they're, they're very hilarious. I mean, outside of, like, gaming rants, you know, other Easter eggs uh, come to mind. Pretty much anything ranging from, like, something that enhances your gameplay experience or it's just something, a way of just killing time or stuff that's just so hidden deep in the game that you have to find ways to break the game to get to it. Um, I, I wish I could name an example of that right now, but uh, outside of, you know, during the 90s where people were able to literally get into the game code and find these Easter eggs. Uh, some of the more memorable Easter eggs for me was during the uh, 90s when I was playing adventure games. Uh, some of the more hilarious ones, of course, came out of the Leisure Suit Larry series. And uh, <laughs> I asked uh, 
when me and Mark interviewed uh, Al Lowe uh, a few years ago, and I asked him about that, if it was just his way of giving the uh, ESRB the middle finger, and he's like, nah, we just did it because we wanted to. Because it was funny. It was. And, and to be honest, the Easter eggs in that game were cr- incredibly hilarious, and it was just their way of, you know, bending the rules even that they make. Uh those are some of my favorites. Um, let's let's start off with Mark about some of your favorite Easter eggs, and if there's anything about Easter eggs that you particularly like in regards that's out there. Um, honestly, for me, I just like that Easter eggs exist as a thing to surprise the player in ways that like give you something out of the experience that you weren't expecting. Now. I mean, some Easter eggs are just, here's the name of a dude or a chick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And those, I don't necessarily have an opinion on one way or the other. It's just like a neat little thing that somebody put in for their own personal amusement more often than not. I generally tend to like Easter eggs that are a little more thoughtful in some way, shape, or form. Like, as a, as a prime example, the, the alien ending in Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. Or the dog ending in Silent Hill 2, as an example. Just like goofy shit that just makes no sense and it's it's it it breaks the theme of the game a bit but it's also it's a reward to the players and i mean a lot of the silent hill games have had these in general silent hill 3 had like a magical girl ending uh etc so on it's it's just crazy shit um there was a cow level in diablo 2 was another one yeah. it was just like what am i even seeing here just (laughs) very amusing very very off the wall, very offbeat that I thought was really neat. Um, the the uh, incorporation of the Konami code into virtually everything Konami did for years and the the occasional popping up that it does even in like more modern games from them. Yeah, e- e- even, uh, what was it? Uh, there was a couple of games that came out on like the PS2 and GameCube era that actually used the Konami code, but it was slightly modified because, you know, more buttons. Yeah, and it's, I like it when that sort of stuff has meaning, or like there's actual effort put into it. Again, just like throwing a picture up somewhere isn't necessarily interesting for me as a person, but when 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 it seems like there was real effort put into it, or there's like some kind of real joke behind it, I always find that pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of my... Uh... Other favorite types of Easter eggs are ones that are practically right there in your face. Uh, ones where it's like, you know, the developers are, you know, either taking friendly jabs at friends at rival video game companies. Like, if you remember the original Final Fantasy game, uh, the game that was originally going to be the swan song of the of uh, Square at the time, they had tombstones around several towns. One of them was a tombstone dedica- dedicated to Edric, who was supposedly the hero of the past in the Dragon Quest franchise. They had another one in a tombstone in the Elf Town dedicated to Link. So, you know, little jabs of humor right there, which I think are uh, a lot of fun. And then there's, you know, stuff where, like, uh, what was it? I was just playing, uh, I think it was in Doom. If you're running around and you're not paying attention, you'll be missing the uh, Fallout 4 the, logo yep. just sitting out of nowhere. <coughs> so, uh, how about, so, uh, Keith, how about you? What What is it you like about... Uh, Easter eggs, and do you sometimes even go after them yourself or try and find Absolutely. some? Absolutely. I do enjoy me some Easter eggs, if anything. I like 
finding stuff that you don't really necessarily look for. I like that little sense of whimsy or like you said, where they're like poking fun at something or anything along those lines. One of my best Easter eggs that I love the most is in Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation where it actually read your memory card and it was like, ah, I see you like playing Castlevania. So it was like, ah, oh, that's so awesome. Um, also, I like in the uh, the Legend of Zelda, how you can see um, Mario and Bowser inside of um, Hyrule Castle. Um, all sorts of cool little things like that. And probably another one of my favorites is in uh, A Link to the Past, I think it was. Yeah, it was A Link to the Past where they had that um, they had that contest that if you won it, you got your name and, or you got a special dungeon. And one of those dungeons, they made it. It was, I think the guy's name was like Chris something or other. I, yeah, I forget, Chris as well but... or something like that. And it was the it was the room filled with rubies. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, so, again, I like Easter eggs in a game and even like during more so like the PlayStation 2 era where they had um, like in uh, Jack and Daxter, they had like a picture of Ratchet and Clank on their wall. And oh then my it, God, I, I remember that it, I was sitting. It, I would no, I was sitting here trying to like remember like Easter eggs. And there's only one I could remember, which I'll talk about when I talk. But I just remember, I played Ratchet and Clank a lot when I was younger, and then after I was done that, I was playing Jack and Dexter, and I remember that one. Mm -hmm. Sorry, so, I just suddenly remembered I knew a second one. No, I want, I want to trigger that nostalgia, because, again, I do like Easter eggs like that. You just did. Thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I, I do enjoy them. They're they're nice. They're, they're little homages, and hopefully that, you know, somebody doesn't get like, oh, well, that's stupid or anything like that. You just got to enjoy it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Now... Okay, just to just to jump in again, um, other Easter eggs that exist out there are usually some that make references to pop culture or the internet and whatnot. And some and one of the games that come to memory is Halo Three, back when it came out in the 360. And if and if you probably remember this, Keith, you go down a certain particular corridor in, towards the beginning of the game. Uh, as everyone's defending the base, and you come across a couple of Marines, one of them standing at a door, the other one on the other side, and it's obviously uh, two guys who are voice actors from Rooster Teeth for Red yeah. versus Blue. And that was an incredibly hilarious moment, just just standing there for ten minutes listening to them like yell back and forth, hey, open the door. No, you're a bad guy. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, prove it. How am I supposed to do that? I'm on the other side of the door. So, I mean, it's stuff like that that I also really enjoy. So, Emily, um, anything like that that you really enjoy uh, and some of your favorite uh, Easter eggs? And have you found any on your own without being told? <laughs> well, when I was younger, and I think it's a, it was a lot easier when we were younger to find Easter eggs only because of cheats. Mm -hmm. And I tried my best when I was younger not to look at cheat codes, but they were also a lot more accessible <laughs> when we were younger on the older systems, really, than they are now, um, especially on, like, Nintendo systems and the earlier PlayStation systems. But nowadays, you don't hear very much about cheat codes, first of all, and cheat codes to actually find Easter eggs, which there used to be. So a lot of the times if I was trying to do something and I was lazy and didn't feel like waiting and I wanted to unlock everything, there was always this, I forget the name of the website, but there was this one website I used to go on a lot back when I was in like middle school and high school. And Happy Puppy? No, I don't think that was that's it. That's one of the first websites I went to that I actually discovered had game codes, but I guess not. It's not Game Facts, no, I hope. 
No, it, it was a God. What was it? It was. It always had cheat codes. Like it would have walkthroughs of the game, and then there was a section. It would be like cheat codes, and it would give you a long list hmm. of different cheat codes. Game FAQs. I, it might have been. I just Wait, said that. I that? just pronounced the game facts. Oh. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was. I mean, maybe there's no like, wrong way really to call it. I mean, game FAQs. But whatever, whatever it was, it's been around. It was around for a really long time back. It's still back around. then. <laughs> back then, because I'm old. But yeah. <laughs> Well, that's how Stop. I feel. You're old. I, d- I just had my birthday last week. I'm old. You don't look a day over 25. Get over it. Well, thank you because I'm 29. <laughs> um, so I appreciate being told I don't look a day over 25. Um, so I looked for cheat codes and saw cheat codes a lot more then than I really honestly do now. And by cheat codes, I mean also cheat codes for Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I would see an Easter egg and I didn't have to look up a cheat code, but the one that I'm remembering the most is from the Silent Hill series, and that's Robbie the Rabbit, because he was creepy and scared the hell out of me. Mark, are so. you familiar with this? Robbie the Rabbit? Robbie the Rabbit from the Silent Hill series. Especially oh, from Silent the- Hill 3, the fucking pink rabbit, yes. I thought it was in Silent Hill 4, is it not? It's. I, I could be wrong, I don't remember what- Three, I believe. I don't remember which Silent Hill was in. He was in a couple there of them. A, but there's there's a one stuffed animal up at Silent Hill Four on the bed. Uh, yeah, next that's, door. that's that's the, that's the scene I'm thinking of. Like you leave the room and then you go back and he's just sitting there on the bed, like staring at you. Yeah, Silent Hill Three um, is where Robbie initiated. They're yeah, all. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about the the one. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of the Easter egg, which was in Silent Hill 4, I believe. That's the room, right? Yes. Yeah, like, you, you're you in there, and then you leave. But if you immediately go right back, he's, like, there. Mm-hmm. He's, like, if I remember correctly, and he's, like, staring at you, all creepy, <laughs> being creepy. And, I mean, I was younger then, and I'm a big fraidy cat, even though I love horror, everything. So, that is one that's really prominent that I remember um, but an honest but honestly I, I just I like Easter eggs I think they pay nice homage to like previous games and like other uh, cultures but I don't remember a lot of them okay. but I that but I don't think there's like I don't think they're as easily accessible maybe I, I don't know if you guys <coughs> I don't you guys agree with me that they're just not as easily accessible um, as they were when you were younger? I think so. I think the Easter egg in a lot of ways has really changed to more of a achievement, and that's why mm. I think there's I think there's maybe less Easter eggs going on nowadays because again, once Xbox 360 hit and Microsoft introduced the achievement system and Sony followed suit with the uh, art, uh, the trophy system, it, it, it practically made the art of trying to find these Easter eggs more of a a chore than it is than actually you know just something you accidentally stumble upon i mean there are still some games that have some well hidden implemented things but like when you played halo 2 for the first time if anybody remembers the skulls uh you accidentally find these skulls and all of a sudden you uh you unlocked various variable abilities that can affect your gameplay but then they bring the skulls back in halo 3 and now they're more of an achievement and just a, a variable that you can modify as you play the game and revisiting stages and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it seems more like, and they weren't even that hard to find in Halo 3, as opposed to Halo 2, where you had to practically find ways of breaking wall barriers in order to get to some of these skulls. 
So, and, yeah. and, and in my opinion, it seems like some of the Easter eggs seem to be less creative. I mean, it, we'll, we'll just maybe, go maybe that's it. Yeah, they seem to be less creative. So it's probably just not uh, giving people really anything interesting to go after. Like, if you look back in the 90s, like some of the Easter eggs were very creative. Like, if you. Like, Hideo Kojima was really good at implementing Easter eggs in his game. I mean, Snatcher had some hilarious ones, like calling, like, the phone number for Konami. If you dial it in the phone and you get all kinds of interesting messages and stuff like that. Or mm. not to mention also random phone numbers and whatnot. Uh, uh, he, he had some Easter eggs in some of his uh, Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, like, all kinds Tons. of stuff. Yeah, Tons. so um, so what about you, Mark? What do you think about, like, the downfall or the lost art of the Easter egg? as you will, as opposed to now and back then? Um, games aren't really creator-led things anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, there's there's always going to be Easter eggs in long-running franchises and things like that, but it's a lot of games... Well, a lot of the problem is that there are just more and more games coming out as time goes on, so there's less and less space to cover that, just in general. And I think while there are gamers who are willing to look around all over the place... It's kind of a combination of less and less games are becoming creator-led content. Like, death of the author is not the loss of the message in the case of video gamings, but the, the metaphorical death of any one author or content creator becoming a big thing. So we're, we're getting less and less instances where there's one creator or a couple of creators who have a unified voice that matters such that they would try to put that kind of thing in there. You know, they're just kind of pumping shit out on a company line. But on the other side of it, it's also the case where even if you do get that sort of thing, a lot of the people who have these sorts of visions now aren't necessarily looking at the things that they're creating and trying to put stuff in, you know, for funsies. Like, I think whatever games Kojima makes next are almost certainly going to have weird Easter eggs in them. You know, whatever games Sweary makes are going to have weird Easter eggs in them. Whatever games Suda51 makes are going to have weird Easter eggs in them to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're, you're probably not going to see Easter eggs in a lot of the mainstream AAA titles because a lot of them are not author-driven, they're company-driven, and the people who are trying to make something are trying to make something big, not necessarily something small, like something, you know, small and neat for people to see. It's also worth noting that you're going to be less and less likely to see those in indie games now, though I think we'll probably start seeing a resurgence of those in like another five years as more and more indie developers get to their second, third, fourth release and start kind of like tossing in neat little references to what came before. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't necessarily see a whole lot in inside from the developer, but I mean that was only their second game. Like whatever the third game is, the fourth game is they make will probably have references to inside or to limbo or whatever, as an example. Mm. Though I imagine I imagine that that's also going to be on a per case basis. I'm just saying hypothetically, like. I would be astonished if a Jonathan Blow game ever had that kind of an Easter egg in it, but that may or may not be because I kind of think Jonathan Blow is a pretentious piece of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I also well, I also think part of it has to do with video game culture as well. You know, when we were younger, it just kind of seems like, especially in the '90s and the early 2000s, like 
it was kind of like a thing getting finding the cheat codes and like finding all this like secret stuff and games and unlocking secret rooms like that was like exciting like i remember like everybody was talking about it online that's why you always saw it prominent on most of the gaming websites when the internet started to you know become a when it became public and started to become you know kind of popular so i don't think that our current culture really cares as much about that in video games anymore than the way we did then mm -hmm. so anyway yeah yeah easter eggs definitely are more of a sign i guess of the times and the culture uh, of the entire of the environment for video game them i mean it definitely was a novelty when uh when some people you know were playing video games starting out with i mean it, little things like you know putting your name in and whatnot and then adding rooms or adding secret you know abilities and whatnot it evolved over time and it kind of like you know it, it's it's on a downward it's going downhill but it might like as you said as mark said might resurface uh some final thoughts like maybe me get like another one of your favorite easter eggs out of the way we'll start with uh mark before or uh keith before we move on to our next topic well if anything one of the other easter eggs that i really like are the homage easter eggs that they put into there like one that was inside and god strike me down for saying this game was um the wolverine game that came out on xbox 360 for um was it origins i think it was for origins um, and they had, um, if you went into one of the bunkers, you actually found a body and it actually had the, uh, it had Frostmourne right inside of it. But like you said, Hubs, that was during the whole, oh, how many achievements can we shove into this game for no apparent reason? Mm -hmm. But I like the, um, I do like the homages in uh, video games too. I would like to see that, uh, come back to see like maybe how the creator like felt at making this game, like what he could have put into this, that he drew inspiration from. That would be neat for it that's my idea for it okay how about uh how about you emily got a um, one more easter egg you want to talk about um i'm trying to i think oh wait so i don't know if you guys remember but on one of the shows i told you one gate classic game I really was obsessed with <laughs> on the N64 was Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Mm -hmm. Not any of the other ones, just Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Like, I religiously played that game. I got every single skater to have, like, the ultimate, like, amount of levels they could have. And there was one cheat in there where if you, like, plugged in the code right, it would, like, shake the screen or something. That, did anybody play that game, or was that just me? Which Tony Hawk game again? Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. It was on the N64. I had the Dreamcast version. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> if there was maybe a difference in the versions for codes, I couldn't tell you. There there was a code for an Easter egg. It, it, like, it shook. I, I can't. It's not like when you go to Google and you type, do a barrel roll, and the screen flips around, is it? I mean, I mean, we're talking N64. I don't think Google <laughs> exists. Speaking of Easter eggs, hey, there's Google right there. They do Easter eggs. Do, uh, what was it? They did the Zerg attack one uh, one year. They did a Pac-Man like game. They had, uh, they had uh, Pac-Man this year for uh, April Fool's at Google Maps. Oh, did they do Pac-Man again? That's hilarious. Yeah, it made my fucking GPS not work for a day. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, it literally, I couldn't get it to load or do oh. anything. No, I remember. I remember now. Okay, if you plugged in the code right, 
the screen would shake. That's how you know you plugged in the code right. But, like, do you know how, like, on games when you play them nowadays, like, you'll have blood splatter and things like that if you get injured? Mm-hmm. You didn't have that, but you could go into certain modes in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. So, like, for example, there was, like, a like a blood mode. So, if you plugged in the code right, there like, every time you, like, fell or, like, pretty much, like... You blow up? No, you don't blow up, but, like, there'd be, like, blood splatter. Like, blood would, like, fly from, like, your face or, like, your arm. And it would, would, like, stay there. You'd see blood splatter. Like, there were certain, like, modes and stuff like that. So, I liked liked those ones. I spent a lot of time looking up codes for different modes in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Okay, uh, one of my favorite Easter eggs is probably a classic. It's uh, the John Romero head in Doom 2 at the very last stage of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and you can only access that by using the clipping code, ID clip. whoop de doo codes. <laughs> codes. See, codes you, got you everywhere, the... so. Uh, I'm telling fine... you, it was all about the codes back then. <laughs> so uh, how about you uh, give us some a final... Uh, Easter egg mark and some closing remarks so we can move on to the next uh, s- uh, topic. Final Easter egg? Um, fine. Uh, hmm. Psycho Mantis reading your mind in Metal Gear Solid. Oh, Keith gave us that one already, but okay. <laughs> okay, well, fine then. <laughs> um, Nicole is dead in Dead Space. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. If you play the original Dead Space and you line up all of the chapter names together, the yeah. first letter of each chapter spells out Nicole is dead. I think I'm I not fucking with that. you. That's legitimately an Easter egg. No, I remember. I, I, I remember that. that. I remember that. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's fucked up, but it's funny. Um, beyond <laughs> that, I don't. I don't really have anything else to you know to to talk about. Like with that topic, like I said, I do think we'll see that come back in some capacity or another. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you have it. Easter eggs are fun. Uh, uh, go out and try and find one. Uh, if you're in the chat room, why don't you try and tell us some more of your favorite Easter eggs that you have. But in the meantime, we are going to move on to our next topic at hand, and that is the 16-bit wars. Back in 1990, Sega and Nintendo started duking it out for con- for uh, well for living room supremacy uh, well before Sony and Microsoft you know, started duking it uh, out. So... Starting off with uh, Sega, back in 1988 in uh, Japan, the Mega Drive, a year later to be renamed and remodeled, well, not remodeled, uh, slightly modified, if anything, uh, the Genesis, uh, hit the uh, market after an unsuccessful attempt with the Sega Master System in uh, all markets, although the system itself was popular in Europe and, oddly enough, uh, South America, mostly Brazil. So with that, Sega, you know, started their marketing campaign. I forget who was in charge of marketing at the time that they brought in, but they were aggressive right out of the bat, right out of the bat uh, with uh, regards to, hey, look at this. We got amazing graphics. We got all the great arcade classics. We got a sports lineup of games that look ultra realistic and stuff like that. Because Genesis does what Nintendo. That's actually two uh, years away. You, you cannot forget yeah. the... Amazing <laughs> commercials that Sega made. Absolutely. Sega those was were practically about the weirdest, most amusing ones to date. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so Sega as we know it 
was pretty much poised to take the 16-bit world by storm by being the first into the market, uh, starting off with an aggressive ad campaign after, you know, practically getting their asses whooped by Nintendo. But then again, Nintendo had like a good five years on them when they decided to bring out the Master System. Nintendo decides to finally bring the Super Famicom out around 1990, and it comes out in the United States sometime later. And that's practically a two-year gap between that and the Sega Genesis. So now Nintendo is playing catch-up, and they are pretty much they're coming out of the bat with, you know, some great uh, promotions of their own. They, they upgrade their old slogan, now you're playing with power, super power. They have these mm-hmm. great lineups of uh, commercials uh, showing off The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, uh, Super Mario World, F-Zero, the Super Scope. They were trying to, you know, win you over with all of that. Check out these amazing colors and stuff like that. We got this. And then, of course, you know, right then and there, and Sega's like, Sega of America, and if anything, was probably way more aggressive out of all of, you know, Sega. Uh, Sega what, you ja- wait for Nintendo to make one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you see see right here in, in Japan, Sega wasn't, even though Sega was at, the Je- Mega Drive was already out for two years, they were quickly losing ground to the Super Famicom. Whereas in America and in Europe, they had some very aggressive advertising uh, going on in order to, you know, keep ground or gain more ground over Nintendo. As you already pointed out, Keith, they had the uh, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. And uh, and then a few years later, after the release of, you know, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, where they used the blast processing as their... uh, Next thing of you know their 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 key word for advertising, they started a new slogan: "Welcome to the next level." So they did a uh, Sega was doing a lot of things right in that regards. Now, in terms of business wise, uh, Nintendo was not really everyone's friend when it came to third party support, especially on the NES, because they had that fear of flooding the market and having another video game crash back like they did back in 1983. They had. A, a kind of a policy where certain video game developers were only allowed to make a total of like five or six games within a fiscal year, and have them released in a in a uh, have them release them in a fiscal year. And then there were some game companies because they, you know, uh, had more too many games in production. They actually went by a, a second name. Like you had Konami who owned Ultra. You had. Uh, Atari, who had Tengen, but then again, that's also more of a piracy issue right there. So, not many. Pe- some people were trying to find ways around Nintendo, uh, Nintendo's third-party uh, like clauses and whatnot. And Sega, on the other hand, was just like, "Hey, come on over. We 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 don't got this uh, uh, policy bullshit. Just release what you want over here, just as long as we approve it." Of course, the only people who at the time had an issue with that was Electronic Arts, which is why. For the first like few years, you saw those weird-looking tall cartridges because that was their way of getting around Sega's uh, uh, policy as well. Because Sega, did, while Sega had a hey had an open policy, they still had some uh, a checklist of things that you had to run down on, and EA was just not happy with that. Um, it was just a lot of stuff going on. But this is this is pretty much within the first four years of the 16-bit wars. And Sega was obviously doing a lot of things right, and they were definitely staying at least ahead of the pack with Nintendo for a time. And uh, how about you, Mark? Why don't you chime in and tell us um, 
like uh, the atmosphere of the 16-bit wars at that time, like your perspective, what your thoughts were, and all that? I mean, I was a Sega kid <coughs> growing up, just in general. So mm-hmm. for me, it was like the Genesis was a big deal. The Genesis was the thing. Like you were, you were going – for me, it was I had the Genesis. Everyone I knew for a while, anyway, had the Genesis. It was – basically just this kind of a big surprise for a lot of us because the the thing to understand is that i grew up like pretty much alongside all of the consoles but we didn't really have that upgrade culture in our heads during the atari era so it's like you'd release upgrades to the atari the upgrades were incremental at best and a lot of people just kind of didn't give enough of a shit it took the upgrade from the Master System to the Genesis and the NES to the SNES for people to finally say, oh, well, this is, you know, it's a sustaining thing. We're going to consistently get newer and better technology as things go. So it was like the Genesis was kind of a really neat sort of self-fulfilling prophecy as far as that goes, where you you started seeing, oh, here's all this new tech, here's all this new stuff we're going to be seeing. And it was like, it was great, just in general, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, like, I, I didn't really have a lot of perspective on the SNES during, like, its first year or anything. But for the Genesis, like, I got that pretty much Christmas morning the first year it came out. So, I, I, was, with, I was with Sega fucking ride or die, more or less. All right. So, Emily, you were obviously a Super Nintendo girl, it would appear. So tell Sorry, us what was I am. <laughs> so in the early years of the Super Nintendo, I would assume you've had one somewhere around in the early '90s. Can you you tell us what it was like for you as a as a person getting a Super Nintendo and living in the 16-bit era and what you were noticing going on at the time? Well, I actually played on my friends. <laughs> oh. Um, well, my first system, my first stuff was Nintendo, um, but I played on my friends' consoles a lot before I finally got my own. Um, but I will tell you that I was never a huge fan of Sega. I mean, I, I I never owned any of their systems. I own, like, an N64. I own almost every single one of their handhelds. I have an NES. I have, well, now I have an NES. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, I saw sound off, so I thought nobody could hear me. Um, no, no, no. I was, no, no. I, I was I'm I, trying I to interact with the chat. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just glanced over. I'm like, mm. oh. Um, but, um, so, mm. that being said, it was different for me. Not a lot of my fans actually had any Sega systems. A lot of my friends, I mean, not fans. fans. I'm tired. You had fans <laughs> when you were a teenager? <laughs> wow. No, um, I did not mean fans. I really am getting tired right now. Um, I meant to say friends. Not a lot of my friends had any Sega systems. One or two did, and I, you know, I played on theirs, but I was definitely a Nintendo girl when I was younger. Um, most of my consoles from a young age started off with Nintendo, and eventually I got into PlayStation um, as well. Um, so I can't speak too much on Sega only to say that they had some really intense commercials. I mean, 
I'm surprised I didn't <laughs> want to because some of their com- commercials were like epic, <laughs> epically horrible. Now they look epically horrible, but back then they were cool. So if you ever want to take a look, they're all <laughs> over YouTube. So if you want a good laugh, go on there. Especially look Brilliant. at the Saturn. Especially look at the Sega Saturn commercials because those. Those were, those, yeah, and they changed those, the Sega screen, which was kind of annoying. Those those commercials were the best. I, I don't think, honestly, that we can have this discussion without including the first PlayStation. Because I feel like the first um, PlayStation got in. I think we should back. keep it in the 16-bit well, realm, though. It's it's definitely possible, doable. But the, thing, but the thing is, they joined in and got smack in the middle of that ongoing war going in between them. And I think that that's part of the reason why you saw the split from that war that's one reason why i'm bringing them up because you have nintendo and sega going back and forth and back and forth and then playstation comes in what was it like 1994 1995 or somewhere around that yeah, but that was technically the start of the 32-bit era but that was also with you know systems like the atari jaguar and the 3do also popping up as well if anything the only other true competitors to arise during the 16-bit era was yeah. uh, SNK's Neo Geo and the TurboGrafx-16. I guess so. There, there was a lot of, like, back and forth, like, you know, like, Nintendo had Street Fighter, but the first Mortal Kombat game was on Sega System. Yeah. So, well, I mean, wasn't it? I mean, it was on both, but it was, like, the, tr- the true version of it was on the Genesis. Yes. I thought the, the pop. I thought the popular one that like everybody talked about when it first came out was on Genesis. Yeah, like both of well, both Mortal Kombat one and two came out on the Genesis and the SNES. At the time, the problem was that Nintendo did not want blood in their games, and that was the clear dividing line in the sand for a while between Sega and Nintendo. And if we're being honest. This is probably a big part of why people still think of Nintendo as the the, the kitty console to this day, mm-hmm. because Sega decided we're Spit. fine with blood, it, so long as it's hidden behind a code or something to that effect. Hence the Abacab code. But wow. see here, but see here's the thing on the N sixty four. I was on there and I was finding codes for blood splatter. Nintendo, you know, they sure. didn't do anything because to stop that. Because by the time Mortal Kombat 2 came around, Nintendo gave up. But it was that major event that kind of gave Nintendo that reputation. Afterward, like yeah. they didn't stop that from happening. From I believe it was Mortal Kombat 2 onwards. Yep. Like it was, it was just code lockout. So long as you, it had, it could be disabled unless you had the code for it. They were like, whatever, we give up. But the first game specifically, it was like just sweat bubbles. Like they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't allow blood or, like, the, the more violent fatalities in the game. So a bunch of fatalities were redone specifically for Mortal Kombat on the SNES, and blood was not allowed at all. And, but again, by Mortal Kombat 2, as far as I remember, they said, well, never mind, and it went back to back to normal, but that that hurt them for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. So, so just real I, quick, I just want to... So Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. You got some final I was thoughts? Just, yeah. So, I know my thoughts are not very clear right now. They're all over the place. But um, one of the problems I feel like Sega had was they put way too much focus in their commercials, I feel like, and trying to be flashy and trying to be like, look at us, and a lot less into like their con, like their con. I want to say their content, like their games and <laughs> like 
their structure, making the actual system more interesting, as opposed to Nintendo, who didn't really put as much folk. Like you said, Sega was very intense in their advertisements, but they put so much work into their advertisements and not enough work, I feel like, into like their games and their system, as opposed to Nintendo, who wasn't as intense but they put more work into their systems and their game developments and they allowed a lot more, maybe not the blood splatter, but they allowed like more third party content and things like that than Sega did. And I think that that's part of the problem as well. And I remember we had a show where we spent a whole lot of time talking about Sega and like what happened to Mm -hmm. Sega. Um, And I think that that's also a reason why, you know, they kind of, seem to fail this whole 16-bit war thing because and why Sega kind of died. Now, one interesting thing is recently, and I'm trying to remember the name of the game, so hopefully someone can help me here. I read an article where Sega popped back up again. They were actually the lead development on a new game for a phone or something, which I found was interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, they were they're owned partially by Nintendo now, aren't they? No. Ironically? No. No. No, Sega's still I... their own Sega's still their own independent company. They own Atlas. Yep. Well, Sega's oh. still owned by uh what's the name of that uh Sammy Corp. Who? Sammy Corporation. Sammy, that's right. Sammy is still the parent company of Sega. What but was um that? but but leading off of what you were just going so we can go on to the next uh segment of the 16-bit wars is oh. is pretty yeah. WWE, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, they're, they're doing the They're making WWE this game. new WWE mobile game, which I find is interesting, and I wonder if they're going to actually, like, do things differently and they might take off again. But I thought I read before that maybe they just worked with Nintendo on something in the last and 10 Sonic years Sonic and Mario. Yeah, Olympics. partnered on. They also, part- they also partnered up on the arcade machines for uh, Mario The Kart. Triforce. That's Lord. probably what I'm thinking of. I yeah. thought they partnered with something. But, yeah. I just thought that was something that was probably a big thing. Them focusing too much on aggressive advertising and a lot less on their product. Yep. And in fact, that's actually what we're going to segue off of now into the pretty much now we're in the second half of the mid nine of the early to mid nineties and Sega and Nintendo are really batting heads at each other. And Nintendo has gained ground at this point in Japan, practically almost overtaking them. Uh, Nintendo and Sega are practically almost even in U- in the United States. I think Sega still has an edge on Nintendo in Europe at this point. Uh, Sega is now at this point where they're looking for, while they're still continuing their aggressive advertising, they are now doing experimentations. The first thing they come up with is system add-ons. They bring us the Sega CD, followed by the 32X. Another thing that they attempt to do is, you know, downloadable games via the Sega Channel, which, of course, you can also think of that as maybe the, besides Nintendo's uh, satellite view, uh, could be the precursor to DLC gaming or uh, digital gaming that we currently are uh, enjoying as we speak. Uh, pretty much a lot of stuff is going on. Um... Nintendo has changed for the better in a lot of ways, thanks to, in part, the uh, Mortal Kombat fiasco, where, you know, after the release of the first game, where the sales were literally a two-to-one in Sega's favor. (coughs) 
Nintendo lightened up in regards to uh, their the gaming content. Mortal Kombat 2 being a superior game, oddly enough, on the uh, Super Nintendo. And uh, let's just say a much stronger game library down the stretch leading into the mid-90s when the 32-bit, 64-bit era would begin. Uh, again, and I also did mention that we did have some blips on the radar being the Neo Geo and the TurboGrafx-16. Um, obviously, we start yeah, seeing yeah. yeah, we obviously start seeing uh, cracks in Sega. So, uh, Keith, can you uh, tell uh, expand a, a little bit on this? As far as for Sega, or yeah, as far as Sega and Nintendo, how you know Nintendo changed for the better, and how Sega was starting to have uh, cracks in the armor in regards to their strategy, business-wise, and how they're just they think more is good when it's not the case. Well. Pretty much, I mean, it's kind of hard to really say for that one in particular is that, it's, like you said, Sega had their, their issues for it, especially with the Sega Genesis and pretty much just making it that huge, discombobulated, conjoined twin with every single add-on on top of it. Uh, that Nintendo actually was kind of doing almost <coughs> the same thing later on down the road with the Nintendo 64, granted, never, none of that stuff actually really launched for it. Um that's really all I can really... I can't really give too much further clarification on the one in particular as far as the industry side for it, but I would probably say that Nintendo just kept on evolving, and pretty much they also had a lot more of the namesakes for it, while Sega really only had Sonic, while as, again, with the Super Nintendo, you had all these different grand RPGs that came out. So you had Final Fantasy three, you had... Uh, Chrono Trigger, you had all these great games, and Sega, while, again, made a lot of great games, just didn't really have a lot of the backing for it. I, I would disagree on that, to be truthfully honest. I mean, people always seem to talk about, when it comes to Super Nintendo, that the big thing for Super Nintendo was the RPGs. Now, me and Mark, I think, talked about this a while ago, but RPGs are not as big as everybody... Well, I think you said it, Mark. RPGs aren't really as big as people put them into perspective. They're, they really only make up a, a minority of the total sales of a console. If anything, stuff like platformers and sports games are the ones that really drive the sales, and there was a lot more of those than there were RPGs on the Super Nintendo. It's just that, let's be honest, RPGs were a hell of a lot more uh, stellar and memorable than those on the Genesis. I mean, the Genesis only had Fantasy Star and Shining Games. Uh, Mark, you want to chime in on this, as well as the uh, hardware fiascos that Sega was going through? Well, I'll take the JRPGs first. Um, I feel like the argument of what was or was not being presented that was memorable in the JRPG front is an interesting conversation, because let's, let's talk about that for a second. Um... Where were the memorable RPGs coming from on Sega's side, predominantly? Sega. <laughs> right. Sega made three of the Fantasy Star games during that time period, as well as at least three of the Shining games just on the Genesis alone, uh, not to mention a couple on the Game Gear, and a condensed version of the Game Gear games on the Sega CD. They were also involved in making a bunch of action RPGs, including Sword of Vermilion, and Landstalker, they they were just all over the place. Most of the RPG RPGs in general, not even just the the memorable ones, but the JRPGs in general, were coming from Sega. Mm -hmm. Where were most of the memorable JRPGs coming from 
on Nintendo's side. Square and Enix. Right. Nintendo, to their credit, did produce the Fire Emblem games and did not bring a single fucking one of them to the U.S. They were responsible for exactly one, one notable JRPG on the SNES, which would be Earthbound, a game that we all love now, but at the time, literally nobody bought. And before anybody chimes in with the, the counterpoint, but, but, no, Square developed Super Mario RPG that had Nintendo's characters in it. It was not made by them in any way. Nintendo had kind of an investment in the idea of JRPGs, but we we see talk about it after the fact. They were telling Square, you know, and I'm sure they were telling Enix to a certain extent, what they could and could not release. They were controlling the market to a certain extent. Sure, we were getting great great games out of that, absolutely, but a lot of the games that were coming out were basically kind of because Nintendo also owned that marketplace and could dictate what they wanted. Going back to Emily's point before, I feel like a lot of the reason why Sega spent all of their time invested in the idea of making advertisements was because for the first couple of years of the 16-bit console wars, they were under the gun and they knew it. They had virtually no third-party support because Nintendo, during the 8-bit wars, had told any third party that worked with them, if you go and work with Sega, you cannot work with us ever again, period. And that's, like, that's not conjecture, that's not speculation, that's literally a thing that's in the book, Game Over, which talks about this time period. I have that right over here on my bookshelf. Points about how basically the CEO of Nintendo is a raging bag of dicks. <laughs> like, he publicly embarrassed the CEO of, of Namco at the time. Like, this, this is not a joke, he's, he's probably burning in hell, if there's a literal <laughs> hell. <that he> <laughs> I'm not, like, this... You know, ha, ha it's funny, but no. He, he's, no, he's, I, I understand, yeah. No, I, I know, it's just... Yeah, so, the thing is, is that Sega was fucked for a lot of that console cycle. That said, I do think they performed admirably within the confines of what they tried to do. I think their biggest problem was the dicking around with alternative hardware. The Sega CD was a great idea. And I think they did with it about as much as they were going to do with it. They probably could have ended up with a much better showing than they did in the console wars had they not kept going with these weird ideas of what they were trying to do. Like, you know, the plug-in cartridge so you could do Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which... Lock-on technology, but, and the only game to do it. Right. Or, you know, the 32X <laughs> in general, which had, like, maybe 20 games come out for it, and nobody bought it. If they, had, if they had invested more time in games than making those kinds of advancements, yes, I absolutely think Sega would have done much, much better than they did, because that was just, you know, that was just trying to fucking piss up a flagpole at that point. <laughs> Excuse me. So, looking back, now, we are practically near the end of the 16-bit Wars because now, due to a blunder on Nintendo's dickheadedness, they lost Sony as a partner, and uh, now we have Sony entering the gaming market with the PlayStation. 3DO is among the first of the other companies to come out with a 32-bit system. Atari comes back with the uh, Jaguar, which would also end up being their swung song, and exiting the uh, console market. And Nintendo decides, for whatever reason, to jump ahead and make a 64-bit uh, cartridge-based system, and Sega flounders big time with the Sega Saturn, uh, due in part to 
constant fighting between Sega of Japan and Sega of America because, let's just be honest, that was one hell of a dysfunctional family uh, uh, as, the, as the years went on. So looking back at the end of the, the 16-bit wars, which, let's be honest, uh, looking at it right now, the last couple of games to come out for both systems was somewhere around 1998. I think Jurassic Park The Lost World was the last game to come out on the uh, Super Nintendo, and I think Beauty and the Beast was the last to come out on uh, the Sega Genesis or something like that. So it was kind of, like, weird. And looking back at it, you had Sega, who at least had potential with the Sega CD, but they floundered hardcore with the 32X. They floundered hardcore with the Sega Nomad. Um, Nintendo, on the other hand, floundered hardcore with, you know... Their business relations with other companies, even though they eased up a little bit. Uh, Emily, what would you take from this in terms of the 16-bit war near the end of its uh, cycle? Um, I mean, I guess I would just... I guess I would just say pretty much what I <laughs> said before. I feel that Sega put a lot more focus into other aspects of you know their game develop other aspects of their products like advertising and things like that than they should have I think probably if they equaled it a little bit out it would be easier but I also I think that Nintendo handled that type of business a little bit better but on the exact same uh, topic, Mark also brought up a good point that at the time, the Nintendo president wasn't exactly the nicest guy in the world, and he probably had a little to do with some of the issues that Sega had, but I really think that at this time it was a back and forth thing, and <laughs> it, I really feel that it was, I mean, I hate saying this, this makes me seem like a total... Sony PlayStation, you know, fangirl, but I'm just, fangirl. you know, I mean, I mean, it's coming from somebody who my first systems were Nintendo and I'm a hardcore Nintendo too. So I can't really say that I'm a total just, you know, Sony girl, but really when the PlayStation came in, that is really when you start to see gaming take a different turn, including Nintendo and including, you know, the end of the whole 16 bits and a shift in technology. So I really honestly think that it had to come to an end at some point. And it was the same thing over and over again. And when Sony really, you know, kind of separated themselves from Nintendo and they created the PlayStation, that took it to a whole other level. I have to correct and you right there. And Sony and Sony didn't separate themselves. Nintendo kicked their asses to the curb, being complete douchebags about it. <laughs> and Nintendo and Sony turned around and said, "You know what? Fuck you. This is how we'll do it." But, but they were separate. But they separated nonetheless, right? Uh, they, I don't tried, know. they tried getting together about it after the fact, but basically, Sony revealed their particular thing that they were doing, and then Nintendo was just like, just kind of fucked them on it. They tried to renegotiate after the fact, and then it just fell apart because the two of them were on completely different levels. Well, I mean, well, I mean, when you look at the PlayStation compared to the Nintendo, it is on two completely different 
levels. I mean, that's one thing that separates Nintendo from even PlayStation and Xbox, which now you see this continuation of a war between PlayStation and Xbox. And I think you're always going to see some type of a war between two consoles. And I honestly think part of the reason why Nintendo actually is still as successful as it is, is it, it stopped really doing the wars. It kind of just stuck to itself at this point and focused a lot more on just themselves instead of, no, I mean, you do see them now trying a little bit, but, you know, for the most part, they try to be unique and different as opposed to competing the way they did with Sega. So, I don't know. That that time period is kind of difficult for me to talk about. Not that I don't remember what was going on at the time, but I kind of came in on the tail end of that. So, my first Nintendo systems were like... 19, like, 94, 95. So I was kind of on the tail end of that. So a lot of what I remember is, like, the Game Boy <laughs> eras and things like that um, leading into the first PlayStation. So, you know, that's why it, it seems like I'm having a little bit of difficulty talking about this because some of it I do remember, but majority of it I kind of came in at the tail end, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah. All right. How about some uh, thoughts from you, Keith? Well, pretty much is that with this, uh, with the Sega Genesis is if anything, as far as hardware is concerned, the Genesis was one of probably the more superior machine, if I'm not mistaken. If feel free to uh, correct me, yeah, anybody. Spec wise, the Super Nintendo was the superior system. Was it? I thought that the uh, anyway. But, uh, okay, then never mind. Hey, you six that one in particular. But, um, if anything, I just really liked a lot more so of the games on the SNES. And also, one of the uh, games that just pops out of my mind that actually was really good on the SNES and actually had a really shitty soundtrack was Doom on um, the Sega Genesis, uh, the 32X version. The SNES version was a lot The music lot sounded like that. fart noises. Exactly. <laughs> but, um... As far as with the product, or I guess just the general progression on, is that I think that Sega just became too little too late, I guess would be the less better word for it. Um, because, I mean, they had a lot of great games and a lot of great systems that came out afterwards. Like, if anything, I did like Sega Saturn with uh, things like Virtual Fighter and whatnot. I just don't know really what went wrong in the grand scheme of things. For it. I guess there's probably a lot more actual fact and whatnot for it. But if anything, I'm a Nintendo fanboy, so I'm like Emily, I'm biased on that one. But I respect the Genesis for everything that it brought to the table. Yeah, I mean I I won't lie. When they came out, what was it? Not that long ago, Sega released that like that Genesis system that had like all the different already pre games on it. What was that called? And Sega hasn't released any systems. There are companies though that uh are making Are you talking about that like nomad thing that they kind of did? Like the little yeah, handheld thing Yeah, it wasn't No, it wasn't it wasn't handheld. It was an actual You talking about like, like the little plug and play systems that are kind of like the NES could, classic? You could get a system that was similar to Gen like it said it said Sega on it. It was Yeah, like, I I seen what you're talking about. You're talking about the At Games little Sega Genesis looking thing? Because that because the company at games is the only ones who are they're they're Sega Genesis's but they have like all these games that they were like rehardwired to have like all these like Sega games like in them. It's like Target, I think. 
Yeah, you can get like 30 plus. So like recently somebody got one a couple years ago and I was like, oh, let me check that out. And it's really not, <laughs> I don't know, it's not that It's not that amazing, but I mean. If it's what I think it is, it's like I was just trying to explain, uh, Sega hasn't done any of this stuff. They've licensed no, no, companies it... like At Games out to release little mini Genesis looking consoles, which are act as little emulators that allow you to play like, let's say, 100 preloaded games on them. That's probably what that's probably what I'm thinking of. Like, but they also it's, have what appears to be a little top load deal where you can plug in cartridges. But yeah, some some stuff correct. do that. I had a point where I was going with that, and I don't remember where it was. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, I mean, there are still people that that buy them, you know, and remember when they're kids. But a, I mean, a lot of the people I know that buy them. They get excited and they get them and then they're like, they suddenly remember that it's not that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least that's what they've told me. It, nostalgia factor appeal, uh, is is strong with them. They think things were a lot better, brighter, and louder than than they really are. I mean, I go back and I play some <laughs> of my old games. Like, like, I went, I remember, I loved my Game Boy. Like, I absolutely loved it. I was obsessed with it. I saw a commercial and I told my parents, I'm like, I need that. And... Like, I went back, I, and I won't get rid of it. I don't know if it's a nostalgic thing. Like, I don't play it anymore, but I won't, like, get rid of it. I won't sell it. I won't trade it in. I won't do anything with any of my older systems. So I recently put two AA batteries in it the other day, and I'm like, I'm going to check this out. I haven't played it in a while. And I'm like, oh, my God, this sucks. <laughs> You're like, like, this is horrible. Why did sucks. I love this? It oh, my God, there's no color. It, yeah. It, well, even Why is there so much blur? Even Game Boy Color, I'm like, man, that is not co- the color I remember back, you know, when I was like 10. You know what I mean? Like, it was just so different from like, okay, well, this isn't a 3D XL. Like, so like the only handheld Nintendo system I don't have is an SP, but I have all their other ones except for a 2D, yeah. 2, 2DS because I really don't need a 2DS. So... Um, I have enough. I have enough DSs to last me forever right now, but. All right. Well, we got we got to start wrapping up here, so I'm sorry to cut yeah, you remember, off. Yeah, remember, so, no, that's okay. Remember that rambling thing I told you that I do sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so practically the, at the end of the day, um, what it really seemed to have come down to was that at the very beginning, it was all an uphill battle from Sega, even when they were already in the in the lead. So they had, like, as Mark pointed out, they were under the gun the first couple of years because they didn't have the support that Nintendo had because Nintendo pretty much was ruling third-party support with an iron fist. Uh, so Sega had to pretty much come up with catchy uh, phrases and aggressive marketing in order to win people over, and that worked for a while. And then once, you know, com- the com- real competition came by in the form of the Super Nintendo... It was Sega actually fighting for their life, thus the creation of, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog as the mascot wars also began. Then you had, along the lines, uh, a couple years later, we're we're almost at the tail end of the 16-bit wars, and it was Sega's practically clawing, they're trying to cleep themselves alive, because Nintendo's actually has uh, overtaken them at this point. And so Sega was getting desperate by doing innovative things like uh, adapting or or adopting CD technology and trying to do system add-ons and just pretty much doing anything they can, including, like I said, trying stuff out like the Sega, like Sega Net, which was one of the first uh, devices that allowed people to download games to their system using the uh, just-then-new internet. 
that became available. Uh, and, and pretty much from then on, the rest is history. Sega floundered the launch of the Sega Saturn in, in, in America after a successful launch in Japan. Sony, uh, after its qualms with uh, Nintendo, launched the PlayStation. And from then on, Nintendo was just second fiddle. Sega slowly disappeared into the night. And uh, if we could look at some sales figures, I mean, they look like they kept changing. Nintendo looks like they had somewhere around a little over 40 million Super Nintendos and Famicom sold. Sega... I think the number keeps bouncing back and forth between 22 million and 30 million. So take of that what you will. But Sega eventually did prove that it was that Nintendo was not like unbeatable as a as a gaming giant uh, through their own interesting methods. And uh, let's get some final thoughts as we wrap up the night. Uh, we will start with you, Mark. Um, I mean. I don't really have a lot to say that hasn't already been said in this particular conversation. <coughs> I feel like there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from what happened and how everything happened as it relates to the, the, the 16-bit wars just in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that kind of situation could ever happen that way again because I don't think we'll ever be in a position where any one company can have that degree of a stranglehold over every other publisher that exists in the marketplace. But I do find it interesting that we were really ever in a position like that at all, and that once that stopped being a thing during the next console cycle, that was when Nintendo started losing steam. Once they didn't have that stranglehold, a lot of companies just said, deuces and left and while they've come back now it's it, it's a completely different landscape at this point like nintendo in a lot of respects has no one to blame but themselves for the situation that they've been in the past couple of console generations mm -hmm. so well also we have to look at uh the fact that it wasn't the landscape in itself was also changing like I, I, I wanted to touch on this, but, you know, the show's running a little long, like how the, 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 the type of advertising and the aggressive campaigning you could do in the early and mid-90s just in this day and age would not work. And uh, maybe tactics that are more prone to being used now may have succeeded or helped them out a little bit in the past. What do you think? Um, I mean, I don't really know where you could go as far as those kind of tactics went. Like, Advertising is not really going to work because people go out of their way to avoid advertising in every capacity at this point. Um, mnemonic devices like Genesis does what Nintendo don't and whatever the shit are fine, but that's not necessarily going to sell you consoles. At, at this point, I feel like if you want to be successful, your best bet is going to be just trying to actually engage customers directly and getting them to you know bring the masses to you it's like look at how sega has still managed to maintain relevance or how nintendo has managed to maintain relevance after all this time because fans who love this stuff are dragging people in and throwing stuff around and basically acting as marketing in a lot of respects like you know on, on sega side of things like the yakuza series didn't eventually become 
something semi-popular. You know, um, Valkyria, Valkyria Chronicles didn't just become something popular on Sega's own work. On Nintendo's side of things, you know, Fire Emblem didn't just become a success because Nintendo made it. It's it's the fan base has a lot to do with it and how hard and how heavily they will market your product, how much they love your product. So it's I feel like engaging with your fans and getting them invested in making something that they want to shill and that other people can appreciate on site is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't think the tactics from the fifth console the fifth console generation could be applied at this point honestly because you're not going to be able to do any of the stuff that Nintendo did to be successful. Because it's, it, it's, you know, Nintendo made quality games, sure, but Nintendo made quality games when they were working on the GameCube, and they were dead fucking last, you know? Mm-hmm. It's making quality games isn't it. And none of the tactics that worked then could be applied now. It's, you would have to do completely different stuff to make it work, honestly. Yeah. Emily, how about some of your final thoughts as we close out the night? Um, well, I definitely, I feel like, touched up on as much as I could about this in regards to my views on it, um, just based on the information I do know. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it that I haven't already said, to be honest. I honestly, I just think that... You know, you know, something Mark was talking about, and I was just thinking about it just now. Um, he was talking about the types of commercials and the type of advertising that happened then, you know, compared to now. And he's right that you don't really see that type of advertisement anymore. Really, the companies don't really focus on, you know, publicly stating what's wrong with the other one and why theirs is better, which is pretty much what they were doing back and forth. I mean, you even saw it with, you know, Sega Saturn's commercials against PlayStation. They didn't even use the full name PlayStation, but it was very geared towards, you know, how they were better than PlayStation. They were better than Nintendo, and they literally would state that in their commercials. Nowadays, you know, he's right. It is very focused on you know, proving yourself as a company. Do we have the games that the player base wants? Do, do the players want these games on our console? Is our console what the players want? And that sounded a lot better in my head than <laughs> the way it came out. But the point is, it is around a lot of what the players want now and word of mouth, especially online especially on social media um, and especially listening to shows like this one. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm yeah, pretty much. Um, so I will probably touch on this at another time when I can mm-hmm. think more properly. Cause I'm really tired right now. Um, okay. Yeah. We got it. We're going to wrap things sorry. up. Sorry. It's okay. I'm uh, sorry. Keith, please give us your final thoughts, and then after that, I'm going to make I'm going to count to three, and everyone will shout out their their favorite 16-bit system. Oh God, okay. Um, Nintendo's cool, and Sega is also cool, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. I should have just said something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, Nintendo rules, Sega drool. No, no, not true. All right, here we go. So on the count of three, say your favorite 16-bit system. Three, two, one. Genesis. SNES. Turbo Graphics. SNES. Turbo Graphics. Mark had to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight's uh, GVN Live. Emily, thank you for coming back. It's always a pleasure to have you around. Yeah, I'm not normally like this for those new yeah, viewers we're running a that little I don't normally see. <laughs> I'm normally a lot more energetic. I'm just tired. So, so anyway, yeah. And we're all getting tired. I'm getting there, too. Uh, so our next show is going to be on May 1st. We, May 1st. we are getting pretty close to our one-year anniversary uh, of mm. our show, uh, which is actually the last month. We will have three shows in May, which you guys know what that means, right? No, you don't that's remember. A, I mentioned this to you a couple. That's uh, a game jam. Well, there Disney. is. Yeah, well, yeah. There's. I, I'm nicknaming it dismay. Uh, Disney, wait, and, wait, Disney in May. Were, didn't you want us? Are we doing the whole? Yeah, each of you a, are hosting a, a show. show thing? Yeah, each of you are going to take turns hosting in May because there's three shows mm. in May. So that that should be for that should be some kind of fun going on. Uh, don't make me go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go first. I'll go like second or something. All right, you went first last time, so uh, we we will. Oh, I did. On. I think okay. so. Did, did I don't remember. I don't remember. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so there we go. Our first show will be uh, May first. My next game jam is this Wednesday at nine, and then uh, three vets and a noob fantasy star online adventures will be this Thursday at nine as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Mark and Keith, thank you for joining me tonight, as always. Thank you, as always. And I will see everybody on Wednesday on uh, Game Jam. As That's well. right. Keith is coming up. We, uh, I actually have a game that we're going to play. I'll let you know when we, uh, when we meet up. Sweet. All right. So, and to everybody out there who tuned in, uh, let's give a shout-out to Electric Maestro. Uh, you guys have a wonderful night. Peace. Peace. Bye.